0: All right, guys, welcome back to the fitness and philosophy podcast. My name is Robbie Gustin. I'm here with James Fitzgerald, founder of OPEX Fitness. James, it sounds like you're in uh, Idaho at the moment. Yes, Coeur Idaho for the summer. Uh,
1: good morning to you, too. It's good to see you again. Episode three we are
0: doing. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, what sort of stuff do you guys do up in Idaho? Any unique activities you guys get to do? Yeah, well, it's it's a novel based upon our our lifestyle in the desert.
1: So it's the opposite of that. It's cooler weather. There's water, uh, and so you can imagine all the things that go with that. Uh, it's the it's the complete opposite. Uh, mountain biking on loom as opposed to like really aggressive rock. Um, you know, uh, although only people who live in the desert will appreciate this. But uh, our lawn is like real grass. <laughs> That sounds crazy for those who don't recognize what that means, but most lawns in Arizona are either turf or rock um, or sand. Um, And so have real grass, really cool. And of course the water, we have boats and all the, all the fun things. So that's what we do up here for a couple of months when the girls are off school. That's really cool. Yeah. And uh, here's something bigger coming up for you guys. You're getting ready to, uh, uh, to start fitness again with your local crew there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're set to uh, open back up on Sunday and we're excited. We'll see how it all goes. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. that. Good luck with that. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Let's nail it. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about virtues, vices, and uh, fitness. So is there any uh, word for fitness that could be a V? (laughs) That's a good
1: question. (laughs) <laughs> we could triple V it somehow that would be a great heading for the podcast episode So as you're going through this intro, I'll think about a V for fitness Okay, okay. or maybe I'll just call it vitness and people will think we're going to come up with something really mind-blowing <laughs> for the whole thing Some good
0: alliteration. Yeah um, So James and I were talking about it. I think with these episodes, we're probably going to try to hit, you know First couple episodes we talked about what is fitness uh, last time we talked about autonomy this time we're talking about virtues and vices. Uh, next time we might talk about epistemology. We're gonna kind of touch things here and there, delve in a little bit and then maybe come back around to different things, but this is a nice connection to a uh, fitness and morality knowledge series that you did last week and also to our autonomy discussion. Um, so what are virtues and what are vices? Um, there, there are really three main systems of morality that are discussed in philosophy. Uh, and virtue ethics is one of them. We'll almost we'll certainly be discussing the others at later times, so I, I'll spare us delving in too deep into that. Um, but really, a lot of this comes from Aristotle and his Nicomachean Ethics. Like, if you were looking for like the primary source on the subject, that's that's a really good one. Uh, Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy also has a really good entry on virtue ethics. So. To put it in the most simple and straightforward terms, virtues and vices are states or traits of character. They're dispositions to act um, and desire and feel in certain ways. They, They change our constitution in a certain way. So whereas other moral theories focus on, well, obey this rule to do the moral thing or focus on achieving this consequence, whether that changes you as a person or not um, virtue ethics is very heavily invested in what a person grows to be, how they feel, how they see the world, the dispositions they have about, um, you know, how they engage with certain situations. So it's very concerned with how the agent is as a person, what virtues or vices he or she cultivates.
1: Yeah. And class a little bit, I I sense, um, is there a little bit of like creating classification to what that, essence is or those characteristics or those, um, you know, traits that individuals have. Is that what virtues sound to me? Like it's like creating some form of classification of placing what those variables are that we see present.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, Aristotle and others have a whole worked out system of, you know, a spectrum of each of these and no one is entirely virtuous, but, you know, to take a famous example um, you know, charity would be the virtue, and then giving away your money to anyone who asks for it would be, you know, a vice in the sense of just being gullible. And then the vice that we're most familiar with would be like being a miser or a Scrooge or something like that. So, Got it. both of those would be vices opposed to the mean of virtue.
1: And those, uh, how did uh, Aristotle come up with these? Um, was it through just seeing experiences and creating this language classification of a continuum of what is? you know, just to use a right or wrong, two different words for it. But um, is that how it was, it came to be? Uh, And is it possible that because we're thousands of years removed from that period of time that there could be like three X versions of virtues based upon our new experiences as human in human nature?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's entirely possible. I mean, that's always an interesting question in any moral discussion about the extent to which our morals um, universal and timeless. Do they apply, you know, to human beings two thousand years ago, just as they apply to us now? And has there been any, any extension since then, or, or, mm-hmm. or are there different levels of virtue that, like you were saying, we didn't even realize back then? So, in terms of how he came up with them, I mean, it was very much a both a bottom up and a top down. So bottom up meaning like looking out at the world at you know generals and politicians and you know other wise people, um, and abstracting from that to see what are the you know collective elements that make someone. Um, you know, a good and virtuous person, and what makes up the happy life, but also some top-down thinking about like what is the worthwhile life that we want to achieve. So a, a bit of both.
1: Okay, cool. That's yeah, that's yeah. great. That would have been fascinating to be
0: alive at that period of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Just, I mean, you know, literature and history and philosophy and just yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Um, so in super simplistic terms, a virtue makes its possessor good and a vice makes its possessor bad. Like if we want to be super binary and just kind of like straightforward. That's, that's you know, a, a good way to start. So some examples, authenticity, inauthenticity, benevolence, malevolence, courage, cowardice, selflessness, selfishness, honesty, deceit, wisdom, ignorance. So again, the goal with virtue ethics is to try and take ourselves from one end of the spectrum, as it were, and try to bring ourselves closer to um, these dispositions that actually change how we feel. Um, And this is an interesting debate between Aristotle and Kant that we might get into later on. For Kant, you kind of have a duty to act morally, whether you like it or not. (laughs) You know, you doing the right thing and not stealing the millionth time over may not change the fact that you still want to you know, have a ton of money. Mm -hmm. You still have that internal disposition. Um, For Aristotle, there's a really heavy notion and it's super interesting about like how malleable our wants are, but there's this deep intuition and um, belief for Aristotle that as you do more virtuous things, it changes your internal constitution. It changes your wants. You no longer want to do the bad thing, doing sufficient things virtuously for a period of time. Uh, the famous movie that's always associated with Aristotle's ethics is Groundhog Day, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it goes from being kind of a selfish jerk to repetitive behaviors and learning to be a bit more selfless.
1: Yeah, is it possible that the argument of that could be that if people are not aware, they could actually get into a like compensatory, pleasurable system that they think is, is upgrading, but it's actually just leading to a,
0: a downgraded version? It could be. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, that's definitely a counter argument one could make against the um, position. And you could also ask like how malleable are our wants in the first place. Yeah. Is it yeah. true that doing the same thing repetitively actually changes our wants? Yeah, so, exactly. Um, yeah, I, was thinking,
1: I tried to tie it into how we see in fitness where people see, and we'll, we'll get to that as well. What, of what's, I guess, the common language for today of virtue signaling this correct alignment, What they think is a correct alignment but they're actually going in a direction that is is uh, futile to their system you know they're they're leading to an area that they really do believe is the right way and they continually of course create you know um pleasure inside of this and this is definitely right this is definitely right and they keep doing it this is definitely right and they're not going in the right way so
0: yeah i think that's i mean no that's a that's a good point like the epistemology of you know those moral feelings so to speak like how do how do you tune into the fact that you know you feeling good doing a certain thing is you know indicative of it being right yeah i think i, like. I think you know aristotle would say something to the effect of um you know it feeling good wouldn't be sufficient of course but it would be a, it would be a piece of the puzzle but i think that is that is a good question yeah mm-hmm. so A really good quote that kind of sums up this whole way of thinking is, uh, comes from Aristotle, where he says, for instance, fear, confidence, appetite, anger, pity, and in general pleasure and pain may be felt both too much and too little, and in all cases not well. But to feel them at the right times with reference to the right people, with the right motive and in the right way, is is what is both intermediate and best, and this is characteristic of virtue. So if you had to kind of sum up, virtue ethics and that way of viewing things that really kind of sums it up
1: yeah how i read that is you almost have to push up against either to kind of feel out exactly what is the definition right yeah he kind of of lays both sides of the street and says this is here and this is here and um i guess it probably goes further back to natural laws of yin and yang and and natural causes and human nature in regard sorry i guess naturalism um, in regards to the sun and the moon. And you don't really know one or the other unless you have one to push up against, you know?
0: Yeah, I think so. And I think one of the interesting connections that I thought we could talk about with regard to fitness, there's this concept of what's called phronesis in virtue ethics. And it just, it's a fancy, you know, it's just the Greek term for practical wisdom. And it's basically the idea that you can't be truly virtuous unless you have these experiences of these different situations that you have encountered morally um you know to then know what the consequences are going to be and how other people are going to react and i think there's an interesting discussion we can have about fitness wisdom no
1: doubt oh my gosh that's a deep one especially for fitness coaching right um so how do you how do you be able to explain or speak about experiences um you know, as I say, as I say that a lot, that CCP is like the book of experiences dumbed down into this framework of experiences, but how do you really uh, validate what those truths are, unless you're capable of experiencing it um, so that you can act upon it as a virtue. Like you just said, I think that's definitely a, that will warrant a discussion further down the road, maybe titled, um, you know, uh, virtues of fitness coaching maybe, or, um, you know, uh, or sorry, maybe it's the, it's, can you, cause I think I did a knowledge series on it one time. It was neat. I languaged it. How can you life coach if you haven't lived a life? Right. You know, so it's, there's, there's experiences that, you know, I now know of being a parent, you know um, and seeing the birth of my two children that as just that example, I could definitely speak to it on a much more rich level, you know, because it is an experience. So, you know, then we're going to get into areas of like where, well how do you how do you essentially not just get 65 year old people <laughs> to eventually become fitness coaches because they're the only ones
0: that have really lived you know what i'm saying so that's where the the tension's going to occur yeah but yeah we, i mean there's definitely that that balance but there is some truth to it i mean you know even things like the ccp experience or even you know you can you can read a workout or you can read a book about coaching or read a book about virtues but there's this whole other element of knowledge that comes from having engaged in that in that activity. yeah. Um, and Aristotle famously says, or well in, in virtue ethics, they famously say, look, you know, a kid who's acting in accordance with virtue, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's good and it's the right direction, but it's, it's still not quite the full on virtue that we're looking for because they haven't had the right experiences of all these different, you know, situations to develop that phronesis to be able to, you know, determine what they should do in different situations and the experience mm. is crucial. You can't, you can't be moral without it. Yeah. So. yeah. And
1: so the, the language here too, cause we're, we're talking more right now at this point in time on virtue, are we pushing um, also the, the differences in virtue and how it
0: applies to fitness? Also virtues, vices in fitness. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought there were a few different directions we could go. And I'm, uh, you know, you tell me what appeals most to you, but I thought uh, potentially one direction we could go is to what extent does fitness, uh, by itself contribute to what virtues and vices would be for us in our general lives? How does it make us better or potentially worse people, depending on what we're talking about. Um, and then the reverse, how do virtues and vices in general life apply to fitness? And then another one that I figured we could discuss is, are there any virtues and vices that are unique to fitness that extend beyond patience or, you know, perseverance or confidence or courage or things like that? Yeah, I like all those. Yeah. So those are kind of the things I was thinking about. Okay. I like them all. Yeah, I think they definitely, yeah, there's, there's a lot to be said, I think. Um, So... You know, again, going back to this notion for Aristotle of, of virtue being a mean between two extremes, um, this is part of the reason why you know if anyone ever wonders, like, why is it hard to be moral? I mean, not not in every instance, of course, but morality is hard. Doing the right thing is hard, and part of the reason that you can cash out when you when you think about Aristotle's ethics is that there are at least two ways to be wrong, and you know, closer to one way to be right, in the sense of. Um, you know, there, there, there are these excesses of um, uh, or excuse me, vices of excess and vices of deficiency. So for honesty, um, you know, honesty is the virtue and being a liar is a vice of deficiency and being a blabbermouth is a vice of excess, right? Like vomiting the truth is not good either. Yeah. Great description you know, in, in any situation. Yeah. So yeah.
1: oh I love that term that just changed my perspective on, um vices
0: in the sense of there being multiple different variations
1: well of what i was probably thinking that people were doing as signaling certain virtues but actually they were just doing a, an extensive array of vice um blabbermouth thing i mean as soon as you said that i was like oh my gosh that's that was has been languaged in even my own head or thought of as being people thinking whatever they were talking about was virtuous, but really it's not. It just shows not the opposite of virtue in being a
0: a deficiency, but it's an excess as a vice. Yeah. And I think people tend to forget that. Like when I read out the virtues to begin with, people think like, well, okay, wisdom, ignorance, honesty, deceit. But the truth is there are multiple different ways to not be in line with that, that central um, virtue. Yeah. Um, I'd say the other really important characteristic feature of um, virtue ethics, and there's a ton to say here. So I'm really just kind of summing up stuff, but the other really interesting piece that I think we could discuss with with relation to fitness is that virtue and the good life or the happy life and fulfillment are intrinsically linked for Aristotle and for virtue ethics. Um, You know, when we think of, happiness or joy or like the good life, you know, sometimes that involves morality. Um, Sometimes it doesn't a lot of times involves, you know, cars, money, uh, planes, things like that. And, you know, hedonistic pleasures and things like that. But for Aristotle and for virtue ethics, more generally, this notion of eudaimonia, which is like fulfillment, um, you know, purpose, happiness in a very deep and meaningful sense, is intrinsically linked with virtue, and Aristotle's definition of eudaimonia, or happiness, is really uh, the following: It says he says it is an activity of the soul in accordance with virtue. That's what fulfillment, or happiness, or deep, profound, um, sort of success in life, consists in, and that's intrinsically worthwhile and worth pursuing for Aristotle. So, it's an interesting question in fitness. Does fitness help us achieve that is there something similar in fitness that we try to achieve besides happiness that's intrinsically worthwhile? Um, But that's a deep element of the view.
1: Yeah, well, I was I was thinking uh, not that you're asking a particular question or for me to To come up with the answer to that. But when you were saying it um, I'm glad that there was some definition of what content and being fulfilled was Um, And uh, as we as we move over into fitness, I can see how someone can still go through what they deem to be pleasurable and virtuous inside of fitness but and they really do think it leads to fulfillment so it still comes back to what i believe there's no there's no rule of our previous discussions on this definition of how fitness plays a role in the good life there's there's no rules or there has been no written uh, things to follow by or to practice around saying these were physical expressions you could partake in that lead you to this highest form of whatever we're calling potential. And that's what we're calling a really fulfilled content life, right? Cause I think inside of fitness, it's very possible <laughs> that, um, to use your words, it's perceived as money, cars and hedonistic behaviors that really people still can say, I've experienced fitness to the fullest and I'm still quite content and fulfilled. Do you know what I'm saying? Because we define, I think we have defined in fitness, or I have defined in fitness, I should say, um, uh, this, well, it's been injected inside of the definition of fitness success, but that, you know, standing upright past 75 is our definition of like we made it. You know, what I mean, just being upright. So, can you get out of your chair when you're 75? Well, okay, that was good, right? And now we're having conversation on, like, let's move that to 90. You know, and we can stand up at 90. We're good to go. Do you see what I'm saying? So, nowhere in there talks about uh, what I like. The word is a uh, fulfilled. Inside of fulfilled is filled, right? You fill the potential, right? You fill what you're fully capable of, not what you, not what the precedent has been set. On and how people live their life, so that's what I think about Robbie and carrying over into fitness is that I I believe it's a it's a it's a ripe opportunity for us to like define this this concept of what could be virtuous and have a fulfilled life through fitness um, because just like we now know over many many years of experience there are people who participate in hedonistic behaviors of you know, money and cars and then just use your example. Right. And they really do believe that's happiness and that's the happy worthy life. Right. So who are we to decide that that is not the case? And so that's why I like Aristotle's definition of it is that it's got to come down to that, how you perceive it, how you perceive it. And if you really inside your soul are dictating it being virtuous, it's probably a good path. And um, so yeah, a lot in there that, uh,
0: no, I think those yes. are good points. And I mean, Aristotle has, you know, arguments to get, you know, he, he runs through the gamut of like, oh, well, is it just hedonistic pleasure? Well, no, because hedonistic pleasure kind of runs out and it's not fulfilling and you keep wanting more. Well, is it power, esteem and prestige? Well, that's dependent on other people and, you know. So a big, a big part of this fulfillment idea is, uh, for Aristotle at least, and I think it relates to your notion of autonomy that we've talked about, is kind of a self-sufficiency. Um, to a certain extent, mm-hmm. um, that it, it, it doesn't depend on these um, external, you know, pleasures. It doesn't depend on external prestige. So he, you know, he considers these famous ones that people rat off for happiness, and he says, "Nah, doesn't quite cut it." And I think in fitness, we can, you know, do something similar where we say, "Well, okay, you you think this way of engaging in fitness is is the true way or is leading to fulfillment? But here's why maybe we could." consider why it might not be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that takes some, yeah, that takes some,
1: yeah, that takes some stretching out for each individual to determine again, like we we had previously discussed what that definition is of potential inside the, the fulfilled life. Right. And if we don't, if we don't dissect in that, I think it's very easy to say something is virtuous inside the fulfilled life of fitness, but we're just assuming so. Right. Yeah, yeah
0: no, I agree. We're just assuming. So, so so in terms of, you know, how do fitness and virtue relate, you know, kind of what you were asking, I, I'm, I'm open to taking any one of these, but I, I, I thought, you know, a couple of questions we could ask, you know, would be one, how can, can fitness contribute to the cultivation of vir- vices and virtues in general life? And I think an interesting contrast here that we can discuss is athletic case I think our society is rife with you know and and not that that's a bad thing Mm -hmm. but okay be part of a team for team building competitiveness and graciousness but I think it's interesting you know specifically given you know your definition of fitness to talk about how can fitness the fitness journey contribute to us being better people just becoming more patient gracious things like that yeah
1: yeah for sure well lots in there, but because you brought up the athlete piece, I think the athlete piece is a nice um, um, well placed uh area of virtuous intentions from the eighties and nineties. As the as the seventies and eighties like really exhausted this whole concept of, you know, let's just do fitness because, you know, Jane Fonda and Jack O'Lane and Schwarzenegger are doing it. Now you know we start to see this more scientific revolution of what fitness is and inside the scientific revolution, the only way that you're going to get academic papers moved or interest in terms of fitness is to study the science of performance or disease. And so when you have this like performance white paper information that comes out in the nineties up until now ad nauseum, it's all linked to that. Like how do we get better connected to the performance indices, right? So performance means it's all wrapped inside of athleticism performance, which on the base level, as you know, and intentions is for people to kill each other. It's sacrificial. Um, it's for, I use the four Ps, pain, pain, pleasure, points, and prizes. That's the intentions inside of that. So immediately in the athletic realm, for all that we know to be and what's inside of our practices for fitness, it's directly connected to, uh, sacrificing your body, right? That, that's the deepest intentions inside of it. So, and then above that, you, to your point, which is a good one, it's a great place to go because there's discomfort like we know in pushing up against one side of the other. So on that side of athleticism, we push up against sacrifice going beyond our capabilities Um, incorrect intentions aligned with, you know, I can be LeBron James, I can do those things too. And so maybe slightly to the left of it, there are some virtues in there that we can pull from it, which I am, I'm definitely interested in, in trying to understand more because I move further over to this side as my base support to say, I want your deepest intentions to not look like that. Right. So I want your deepest intentions to be that, you know, you're moving because you can and because it's for you. But I like, I like uh you know asking the question as to what are these things we can get inside of this you know fitness experience that can be that are human virtues right and I'll just name a few that we can you know kind of play with um, I'm just thinking of the biological things you know the, uh, the and uh, some of the cognitive things, but um I think strategy in trying to overcome a solution to a movement is a really really virtuous um um, act as a human. Um, and th- there's so much beauty and time in that. That's why I find it so beautiful is that you're never going to be faced with some solution to movement challenges that you could, you will immediately overcome, right? We're, we, we just don't have the bio- we have too many biological constraints to to say that for your whole life, Every time you meet a physical challenge, someone's going to get it like that. They're not. They're going to have to take time. And, and then when they get to there, it's like, well, now you're there. Now there's more challenges. You know? so that's the beautiful thing of this thing. inside. So, so I think strategy of overcoming movement solutions is a really deep, virtuous thing that people can learn inside of fitness. Um, I think uh, sustainability and pacing is a is – a, it seems like a, a physiological language but it's deeper rooted in you being able to continue to to do practice of fitness. So when people learn how to pace, they are essentially saying that they know what they're capable of expressing really well. They know what they're capable of doing right now, but they also know how to just pull back a little bit so they can continue to do that work. Right? So I'll just propose two there. Um, I think other areas that I'd be less comfortable talking about, Robbie, but maybe you, you believe there's something that uh, inside of that um, for the um, uh, community, um, sharing physical challenges with other humans, um, teamwork, um, you know, and other, some other those areas that could probably be derived in a fitness landscape. Uh, but then, of course, I'm going to push up against that, because if we're going to define and back up and say, what is autonomy? you eventually have to have some of those competencies inside that are self-derived that are going to allow you to do those strategies and pacing scenarios, you know, by yourself, uh, with a little guidance from a coach, but I'll, I'll just stop there. I think there's, there's a number of things there.
0: Um, if you wanted to add to it. Yeah, no, I think those are a number of good points. I mean, I take it from what you're you know saying, you know, take uh pacing, for example, you, you know, and, and that I think, uh, starts to answer the question: Are there unique virtues in in fitness? You know, you're saying the strategy as well, but I think taking the pacing example, there's an extent to which that can you know lead to patience, which is of course a virtue in general life, to um, to moderation uh, rather than going beyond one's um, you know capabilities, things 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 of that nature. So uh, it's an interesting you know connection between the two, the way fitness can actually lead you to in a certain sense be a better person overall um, by having engaged in these activities maybe even a more moral or or virtuous person
1: yeah i know and i know excuse me i know you're not done with that but the first thing i thought about there if i could interject is that there it's because it's the common case that uh a lot are not patient in participation of fitness today right so and as you know you know there's uh, i usually say after that all the time there's no right or wrong to that but maybe there is maybe there is whereas that if you're if you're showing the practice of impatience you know how how good is that for you how right. good is that for you long term um and in a lot of cases i don't think it's quite virtuous
0: no I, I i agree and i one thing i was just thinking about as you were speaking is um but the system wants us to do that that's the thing that's that's true <laughs> very much so yeah um with Plato and Aristotle, if you go back enough, you you do see some, you know, obviously gymnasticon and all, all these there there is a connection with physical culture. And, you know, they talk about it to a certain extent in its relation to being a better person and the good life. But, you know, when you think about Kant or utilitarianism or more modern moral theory, I can't and I, I could be wrong. Someone can think of some example they can put in the comments. Um, I'm having a hard time thinking of physical culture being discussed in relation to morality today. And I think this is something, you know, that maybe we're perhaps helping to bring back here, like back with Plato and Aristotle, there was this notion of connecting physical culture and virtue and being a better person. That's just been lost. I don't, if you ask most people what's necessary to be moral, um, I can't imagine too many people would mention fitness as even a remote component of the equation, but I feel like it, it, it can play a role and perhaps should a bit play a role. Yeah, that's and, what I'm thinking.
1: Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> yes, resounding yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Disgusting.
1: Do you do you want me to agree with you? Because I do. Um, yeah. No, I use the terminology like uh, it's it's this. Uh, you know, the way I think about it is, it's like breakfast. You know, it's a, um it's a part of society and it's a part of uh, our normal day to day functioning. And it's, it's almost should be up against like uh, vocation, you know? Um, and I forget what um, some of the um, philosophers initial thoughts were on categorizing day th- things you should do during the day or things that most do during the day, labor relations and uh, play or something like that. And, and the physical experience stuff um, to your point, I believe is just, it's just been, it's just been so beat up. We actually, we actually don't even recognize it as being possibly virtuous anymore, you know, because it's been, it's been wrapped with so many other vices. There you have it. There's the word like we it's been wrapped with vices of um, short-term processes and uh, relieving pain and um, um, decreasing what society says I, I should be at or get to. You know, um, and you know, be good to your neighbors, you know, that, that's a, that was a, that was a, well, I mean, I guess it's less today because of, you know, just different behaviors and communities and stuff, but in the sixties, you know, be good to your neighbors or know your neighbors seemed like a common, yeah, that may just make sense, right? We want to live with one another. We want to share value, you know, uh, uh, physically express with everyone daily. It's like, what? You see what I'm saying? It's like, we're so, we're so deep into that being um, almost attached to it being a vice now that it's almost an incorrect malaligned behavior generations deep that it would be uh, it would be tough to come out of, but I agree with you. Yes. I think it, it should be languaged something like breakfast. And I think there's a lot of great things inside of it. Um, I was also thinking, as you were mentioning that of this other i mentioned strategy, and I also mentioned pace, but there's something that you said there that remind me that there's no real there's no real exemplars today in society for it, as I mentioned on the fitness morality knowledge series there's no there's no shining light there's no beacon, and there's there's it's just uh no one's willing to say that it's quite virtuous to push up against potential. And I think that is virtuous, you know, so strategy pace and pushing up against potential, not past your capabilities, right? Pushing up against what you're currently capable of today, right? So everything that you do, every time you participate in movement to take the simplistic terms, you know, you're going to go for a hike and you're to discover nature and move. Um, And the next time you do it, you're going to go for two more minutes, you know, push up against what your limitations are. And that I think is where the, is where the sweet spot is in the learning of what is virtuous, right? You get to push up against what is, what, what limits me? Am I physically limited? Am I, am I cognitively limited? Um, Is there, and I think then we can go in the path, Robbie. So I saw in your PDF notes of like, where do these like virtues and characteristics come from and how are they derived so that people could know like, well, why, why when I get to that two mile barrier, just things just stop, you know, why why is that the case? And I think the being at the two mile is the most beautiful virtue, right? So you're getting to like what your limitations are, what your struggles are, what your, what the tension is that, but the, you can see what's masked inside of that. Uh, or how I'm describing it is that we want we want to invoke this um, this concept through our language, Robbie, and our discussions, so people can start thinking about what does it mean to try to be at my my most potential right my my potential all the time and forever and ever amen you know um and I think that is virtuous um, and how to drive that and why you should do it and how do you balance it and how do you not tip over? That's all, that's all, uh, you know, technical things that, that people can do, but I really don't think that there's a space for this, you know, um, you know, to use your words of mediocrity, uh, or sorry, you said in moderation. Well, in this, in this area, it's, it's great to push above moderation for the physical experience level. Um, yeah. So it's three there, I guess,
0: you know, strategy, pace, and potential. Lots of interesting yeah. things in there. I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with that. And I, two things came to mind as you were saying that. So one going back to the team example, you know, if we, if we think of virtue as a lifelong journey and fitness as a lifelong journey, I mean, one of the things that we see in society today, and just by the very nature of athletics, it, you know, people are athletic and they're on teams for high school, maybe college, and then maybe they're on a pickup team. Um, but you put this limit almost on what you can, you know, if we're saying that, uh, athletics and, you know, team sports are the only ways you can kind of cultivate these virtues physically, we're missing out on a whole lifetime essentially of, you know, getting to your physical potential. What about fitness itself? This, this, this notion we've been talking about of a lifelong practice where you're pushing up against, um, your potential. And I think the second thing I was thinking of is you mentioned the idea of exemplars, um, for virtue ethics, this is a central idea that the virtuous person is one that, you know, has spent a lifetime cultivating virtue and has essentially mastered it. Um, and people look to them as paradigms. And again, you know, if we kind of just look to the team sports or athletics, not, again, not that there's anything wrong with that, not that you can't glean something from that, but who's doing football for no, 80 years? Yep. I, I don't know anyone, yep. but yep. fitness. As mm-hmm. described it, you 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 can do, right yes. right So yes, there's a notion there.
1: Yeah, no, um yeah <laughs> by all means, there's so many examples we could use of the athletic mindset that just falls to nothing, you know, when you get inside of what's inside of it. Um, I would definitely put the the score of eighty six to fourteen, let's say, on the side of like um what's good inside the health framework as opposed to the athletic framework. There's a lot of areas in which it doesn't connect to what we're talking about in virtuous pieces. Um, and I, I don't know if it's neither here nor there, but you do bring up a point when you said lifetime, I think that's where fitness has been, has been lost is uh, as an example of one area inside the public school systems, their, their definition of physical expression is sport participation, right? Like uh, my child is scored on how fit they are and how well they can overcome movement solution challenges by if they keep their elbow straight on a free throw that they learned in, in practice, in school, you know what I'm saying? Like, and that's not fitness. So what you see in that example is sport has just, has just encroached on this lack of um, you know, really it's a lack of direction on behalf of, adults that should, should be saying like, it shouldn't be judged and you should just learn how to do these physical expression things. So to my point, I made on the knowledge series by the time you're 18 on their last call, um, you should just be able to understand what to do to push up against your potential, you know, and to keep doing it and to keep doing it forever. Um, and when, when you said also the team aspect too, I couldn't help but think, which is probably another topic, another time to talk about, um, you know, the self versus others and the coach client, uh, it's itself. And, you know, cause the, you know, f- helping the self first is probably, I would argue also very virtuous. So, you know, taking care of like, do you have the pieces before you want to do something virtuous like teaching others? you know, so take care of your experiences and your ability and be good in your shoes. um, And then you can help others, you know, and then when you're helping others, you know, and you get good at that, then you can help the system, you know, and then when you're good at helping the system, then you can help the collective. um, And it's in that order, right? Um, right? Back to the point of what you said of team. Well, I think a lot of people jump to these virtuous ideas of helping others and, and strategizing to, for a common goal, but they really don't have the ultimate base support of potential of themselves figured out, figured out yet, which is why I think you get a lot of people kicked out of the high school sports situation and they can't wait to discover fitness on their own, you know, because they sense that like, I need to work on myself, you know, in my own physical experiences. And they never got that because they were doing like system systematic things right they they weren't even really at, at even at the coach level of helping others they were they were not even at uh, at uh, taking care of self so those are, some of the, those are some of the things i thought about um and i love the um i love the exemplar conversation i'm not sure if we just want to table that for another time too but um to discuss you know maybe we can come up w- with strategies robbie that could uh inspire a whole lot of our listeners or people that listen to, to not only use these things we talk about as what virtuous and what I call like coach attributes. Um, but we can, we can spread that good news of what it means to be an exemplar and really well define that, you know, and so that that can bleed out and people can see those people as the, like you call them the paradigm shakers and shifters and people and folks, maybe we need to, we need to create thousands of jack lanes you know, right. uh, just doing it for the right reason um and it looks it looks it's quite virtuous in my opinion
0: i agree and i mean you know again not that there's nothing wrong with tom brady there's nothing wrong with LeBron james there's nothing wrong with uh any of those folks but when you know uh culturally that's what you look to as your paradigm or your only exemplar of fitness you know and that ends at what mid-30s i mean tom brady's kind of the- outlier, but do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it, when, when you don't have these fitness exemplars for people to look to, it, it tends to, um, you know, I think make it harder for people and kids to know what to aim for, do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. To see what direction they should be going in. Oh, for sure. But you, you speak of the,
1: again, we're repeating it, but you're speaking of where populism, um, and popularity, and sensationalism and objectification of our bodies or what we do are seemingly virtuous and it's tied into fitness. I'm not sure how that happened. You know, like it's, you know, I'm not sure how that happened. Like, how did, how did Tom Brady end up being a spokesperson for green smoothies and working out? Like, how did that happen? You know, um, if anything, which you're not going to have, but I want that, you know, 42 year old father of three, Um, who works his ass off um, to provide um, and works out four times a week and is just continuing to learn like what he's up against and what he's trying to do and pushing up against what is healthy and what can allow him to keep doing what he wants to do. I mean, that's our exemplar, right? That's our exemplar, not, not uh, popularity, uh, you know, and how it, you know, just pulled in fitness somehow. But again, you know, that came back in the athletic realm where everything inside of academia and every coach then pushed that, oh, I mean, it's, you got to have your power clean and bench press at these ratios because that's what they saw in fitness, you know, in, in fitness testing for athletes. So it's, it's the, it's the epitome, you know, (laughs) it's like, well, is it, you know, is it because there's no well-defined, you know, structural balance to live long and prosper just to use a simple example of, you know, lifting and structural balance, not being necessarily virtuous for health. Um, so anyways, you raised some interesting points of the, the uh, athleticism aspect of it.
0: Yeah, I agree with what you said. And I, I mean, I think one other thing that I'm thinking of as you're you know, talking about this is in virtue ethics and for Aristotle, there's, there's this very deep-seated notion that virtue is a lifelong practice, that's number one, and it's intrinsically worthwhile. And I think when you, you know, if we talk about our conception of fitness that we we've been talking about, not, you know, what, you know, what passes for it these days, but the the version of what we've been discussing, I think that's the, both of those things are centrally related to it. So one, it's a practice, a practice essentially doesn't stop. You, you keep doing it right. Um, you, you, uh, engage in it and get challenged by it and it's it's a lifelong endeavor and two it's intrinsically worthwhile so not the points not because your coach said so not because you get the million dollar contract again not, not that there's anything wrong with that if that's what you're shooting for but intrinsic worth so um, yeah the, those thoughts are kind of coming to mind and any thoughts there Oh, yeah. Well, I'm just going to take it from a lens of a of a father
1: with two kids who I'm just asked that question of my two young girls post soccer practice, you know, and for the past couple of years, they've been preyed upon by multiple different coaches and different systems of even even parents of trying to sneak in this like specialization. Like if you I really think Hannah, if she like practiced three more times a week with this club, she'll really get to this worthwhile capability do you see that so they throw in this like it's worthy to specialize and do this one thing really well Um, so that's what i think about i think it your your indirect question there robbie i think it needs more it needs more time spent on what's that defining aspect of what is worthy and what is worthwhile Um, and i think it's not only tied into uh, practice and being consistent which is beautiful because if you don't if you don't participate in good virtuous things, you can't practice anymore. You push beyond your capabilities, but what is worthy? I think there's a time stamp inside that also, do you know what I'm saying? So like for Hannah, she could do it five days a week for the next four years, but now she has, you know, mechanical issues about her knee when she's 19. Right. Do you see that? So that's not that worthy. And the story has been told a million times just that we don't want to, we turn our back on it. So um, that's what I immediately think about of, I think we need to define, what is worthwhile? Um, yeah, I, I agree. how do
0: you define worthwhile? <laughs> I mean, I think, I think a place to start where we can, I mean, you're right. I mean, with any philosophical question, especially like that, it gets really deep. But I, I, I do think just in us discussing it, one really pretty prominent contrast case, and you can correct me you know, if, if you think something different here, but for a lot of other forms of fitness, it just it's all tied up in extrinsic worth you know, the weight you were going to lose, the uh, BPM on your, uh, you know, your heart rate monitor, the miles you're going to run, the contract you're gonna gain. And I think, it, it's, it's not that we don't aim at those things in the, in the type of fitness we're talking about, it's not that we don't, you know, wanna set PRs or things like that. But I think there is this notion what we been talking about of intrinsic worth, the practice itself, not for contracts, not for points, like you say, because you can because you are a physical being. I think that's at least some way to get some purchase on the notion of worth that we're trying to get at in a way that contrasts with those other forms.
1: Yes, yeah, and I think you can maybe then tie in other virtues beyond what I had said for potential strategy and pace with that practice. Right, like Maybe you can continually uh, move because you can, and it's for you. Um, because it allows you to push up against your potential. It allows you to learn what strategy means of fun and play and and challenges, which to every human overcoming movement solutions is very enjoyable. If no one's ever, you know, been on an American Ninja Warrior course. Um, and then pacing, you know, which I think, as you know, I, I, (laughs) I beat that horn for the past two decades, but I always knew there was something really beautiful inside of learning gears, right? Like, right this 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 thing does have gears you know and it it, uh, it there's not like 67 there's three major ones you know and and there's like some different versions of all of them and what's good and what's not but to learn what those things mean um it, i just think it's it's uh, it's it's worthwhile <laughs> um just speaking to my uh we just came up with uh some strategies for my kids uh this summer um, you know how I use my teach, learn, move, create thing that inspires me as beacons for w- what I do and try to, uh, keep in my lane and, and things that really light me up to stay a part of, um, who well, we just created this list for the kids the summer. And, and, uh, I spoke to Chloe about it this morning and under move, uh, I underlined it and I said, every day we're going to move long and short. Um, and so in her, in her question, it was like, so what does that mean, Dad, in long and short? And so I described it as like, you know, we want to participate in biking together, you know, and go for long distances and go across land and play with that. And we also want to move short, meaning like the timeline of it, the challenges are much harder, right? And we want to practice that daily as daily practice because it's, you know, interesting to participate in. Um, and she understood that she understood that you just want to, we want to go for long walks and hikes like we do, but we also want to do some of our little circuits and workouts that we do out there in the gym, you know, because they're, they're, challenges that she's like, Oh, I don't even know if I can do that. It's like, Oh, cool. That's a short, that's a short movement challenge. So to my point that, that I think is, um, is not there that much in the landscape for the young person. And I think that it's probably um, going to help you and I define what is worthy is if people can, um, understand that a little deeper.
0: Yeah. And I think one um, potential fitness virtue that came to mind that I'm curious to hear your thoughts about, like there's, there's a good, um, there are a couple of good websites that just kind of list, you know, the standard 20 to 50 virtues or vices or whatever you like, just kind of this, the standard ones that people would think of. And I didn't see one on there with strength. Hmm. Um, you know, you might say, well, moral fortitude or something like that, but What about just physical strength and how does that relate to fortitude and um, does getting stronger, make us better people? Thoughts on that being a unique virtue that contributes. Yeah, I could, I could probably understand why it's not in the
1: language. Um, But I would say that uh, the way that you and I see it in our lens, um, I think it's probably embedded somewhere in there uh, for the wording of resilience. Um, Because when, when I think of strength, um, I, I think I see it, you know, immediately as a, as an expression of, of, of something aggressive and, uh, something really physically challenging right now, the more and more you do it, you start seeing strength is more than that, right? Strength is strength is now also an assessment of who you are, right? Strength is now also an opportunity for you to test what you're capable of. Strength now is also an opportunity for you to see um, uh, aspects of uh, strategy because it can become technical. It could also be pacing, meaning that you wanna do some of these contractions not as frequently as you would like, you know, as you as I know, as you age, right? I can't do the really heavy shit every, every two days now. Um, so I see strength now as being more than just that hard physical challenge. So I can understand why the language is tough, but I see um, the word resilience in there because what you experience through the practice of physical expression, and let's say in this characteristic strength um, when you practice that over and over, you get to see how resilient you are, right? Like how do how do you put up with an imposed either willful or unknown stressor, right? So how, how do you put up with that? Meaning, you know, just as an example, the the kettlebell goes in a slightly different trajectory, right? That's an aspect of you learning about how strong you are to overcome that perturbation, right? Do you see, it's not, it's not about the weight of the kettlebell. It's like, were you, were you resilient enough to put up with that new stressor? And so that's, that's how I see strength developing over time as a virtue is, 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 Is in its continual practice, it becomes an assessment, and it becomes a feedback, um, and it becomes an opportunity to really see how resilient you are, Um, because it's there's so much uh, there's so much simplicity in in it that you just can't uh, you can't escape its uh, its truths. You know, Um, so that's why I like it as a as a virtue. If that made sense of opening that up as a as a possible virtue.
0: Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And it it makes me think and wonder, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts here. You know, when we typically think of the notion of resilience, you know, you could say someone's resilient when their tire goes flat and how do they react to it when they take a test, you know, we have all these different intellectual and emotional examples of resilience, but I, I kind of wonder the extent to which let's say someone has that aspect. They've experienced that type of stuff, but haven't experienced any sort of physical resilience in the sense of, Trying to build strength, are they missing out in a certain way? Insofar as they are a human being, on a crucial component of resilience that just is, you know, a huge piece of who we who we are. Like maybe yes. the moral language has lost this physical part.
1: Oh, no doubt, no doubt. It's 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 when I talk about potential, um, I'm assuming, and I'm glad you're you know uh, opening up what I I just assume is is. Probably in our room, it just makes sense. But I would agree with you. We should discuss it because not a lot of people think that way of what you and I may know to be true, Robbie. Of how these how these physical expression challenges lead us to learning more about that definition of resilience, right? And I, 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 to answer your question, yes, I do believe there's been it's been pushed to the curb of this acceptance of you should participate in continuous physical challenges that, that, that at least test what your potential is and what your capabilities are right safely and and monitored and in the correct, correct direction. Why? Because it will allow you to determine just how resilient you are by seeing how you react to those things, those physical challenges. And I just take it for granted that I could tell you a thousand stories of uh, physical challenges that I went through that taught me whole, a whole lot around, a virtuous life in the non-physical realm. Yeah. I mean, there's so much power inside that physical expression that people move up against, right? That's, that say things. Cause then, then the, the weight says back to you, uh, you can't do that. You can't do that. Um, and, and so here lies in this beautiful opportunity. If humans are aware enough to go um, now, how how, how am I going to deal with that? <laughs> How am I going to deal with that? And that right there is the measure of resilience as a characteristic that gets, that gets hopefully moved into their character development because they went through the physical experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And two, two thoughts are coming to mind there. So one is the type of resilience I think you develop in fitness is similar to, but not the same as qualitatively different, I think, or, you know, it's a different type of experience that you would be missing out on if you didn't partake in those types of activities. Um, it, it's just, it's a unique type of resilience that you may not get from these other types of things like taking a test or, you know, how stressed are you when your tire tired flat or, or what have you. And then the second thing is I think culturally people think, well, fitness is just one way you could test your resilience, right? Yeah. You, you know, you could test it by, uh, you know, doing a whole bunch of other things, but it, you could you could be perfectly resilient not having done any fitness, right? Not having engaged in any strength activities. And I think part of the question we're asking here is, and I think it's really interesting, is to what extent are you actually missing out on a crucial component of being a human being and even being a virtuous human being by not having that physical expression and that strength challenge and that resilience challenge? Um, it, it, in other words, is strength and physical challenges are they just one one among other ways of testing your resilience that you could just toss to the side and say i don't need that i i could do it if i like it but i don't need it or is it intrinsic to being a human being that you need to experience this and that teaches you more about resiliency that you could get from other experiences does
1: that make sense yeah for sure and i just uh, again i don't think there's enough exemplars around um, or people that have lived the full life um that we could we could move because what I see there is that we're, um, or this is how I'm seeing it is that we're asking, you know, how much potential of body do we need to do versus how much potential of mind that allows us to determine what a fulfilled life is. So again, I go back to full filled. If, if we stay filled, uh, and, and we be reductionist, you know, of mind and body, Um, And however, you want to diverge what mind means and consciousness and belief and spirit and et cetera, uh, those non-material things, material and immaterial. um, Yes, (laughs) I would say that under my definition, you're not truly fulfilled at the end if you're just upright at 85, but you haven't for those 85 years expressed as much uh, pushing up against your potential in the body as you did the mind. And I would even argue, go further to say, because I've experienced this and I've observed it for so long, but again, you're not going to have, there's people that have talked about, but you're not going to have um, a lot for it, um, is how this um, um, pushing up against potential physically, and I'll define that so it doesn't seem like we're just narcissistic maniacs doing fitness all the time. I would argue that leads to a even better production of what you can do cognitively than if you only did mind stuff alone, you know, for your whole life. So, yes, I think that there's um, in that dual portion of just, you know, putting them down. I think that we've really lost that. um, We've lost the wonder, you know, and the mystery around, you know, just trying to train our bodies and, and physically express, even for this, even for things we may not even know, Robbie can occur, right? But we, you, and I know it, but but a lot don't. Um, and so I think that there is more. I think you have a more fulfilled person who has moved in potential for their whole life uh, against mind and body um, together.
0: So it's not, you know, it's not just one among other resiliency challenges and you can be like, oh, well, I want these ones and, you know, not these physical ones. It's, you know, we're saying to a certain extent that those body challenges are a necessary part of being a fulfilled human being.
1: You can't get the
0: same quality of resiliency, um, from just doing just engaging in other mental mentally challenging tasks or emotionally challenging tasks.
1: Yeah. And I'm, yes. And I want to add to it by saying you can even be more resilient in those mentally challenging tasks, the more potential you push on the body. Right. Right. Yeah. Now, as I said, there's a number of people who talk about that, but they also don't want to, they like our, our best thinkers, you know, today or the ones that cognitively are like consistently challenging new beliefs and really pushing out there. You know, no one investigates what their lifestyle is. Like what, what did they do? And a lot of them in, in, in lots of practice, just kind of put it to the curb as the physical training, just being something like, oh yeah. But when you dig into it, they're like, oh yeah, I I just do jujitsu every day and maybe go for a 30 minute with my dog. You know what I mean? It's like, why are you just, why are you saying I just do that? Like, those are, those are examples that you need to be like telling everyone, right? So that you could say, you know what gets me to be able to do these really cognitively challenging things that has a a long time uh, for me being able to express this is me doing these physical challenges. Right. And you can see, I think we've just taken it for granted to investigate that on a much deeper level. Um, Yeah. And again, of course, it's, as I said, the, The whole notion is this mediocre living that we've been okay with, you know, that we're, we're at 85. It's like, you did it, you know, it's like, well, did you, you know, did you? Um, And I think we're really, I think we're really afraid of, of uh, thinking that we'll get all these pleasurable hedonistic things removed if we like focus on fitness. that's, that's what I think that society has a, has a, has a real deep feeling for especially when they see me come out and say it, right. Take my shirt off and no hair on. I'm like doing thrusters. They're like, how in the heck is that contributing to your mind being better? So I think we got a good challenge in front of us
0: for that. Yeah. yeah I agree. Um, so here, here might be a fun one. I'm curious to hear your thoughts here. We've been, we've been talking about the virtues in fitness and how they relate to the virtuous life. Uh, what are the vices? in fitness or in, in this kind of, uh, I guess, realm that we're discussing, what what are the ways things can go wrong? You know, if, if pacing is the virtue, mm-hmm. um, you know, if strength is the virtue, uh, if uh, strategy is the virtue, what, what are the ways those can go wrong and what are we trying to correct against?
1: Yeah. Um, I think it's uh, the way that I'm understanding vices. Um, I think it's um, participation or uh, things that lead to maladaptive behaviors in the practice. So anything that falls into that would be considered a vice. Um, so that would mean uh, addiction, you know, doing it for whatever reasons that are going to be futile over time or lead to your demise or injury or harm or self-deprecation kind of, you know, uh, movements. Um, you know, I think that uh, anything that's probably going to lead to um, an increased speed of wear and tear, um, uh, a uh, anything that's going to uh, push regular in regular occurrence beyond your capabilities, um, I think I think those are all covering whatever you want to call underneath them vices. You know, um, I I classify it into what most current behaviors are today for the intentions inside of fitness um, look good naked um, decrease pain um, and uh, have more energy you know so th- those those would be the the global reasons why people participate in physical expression um, and all three of them are vices you know they're they're going towards a fix for something that really doesn't lead to your you know, or Aristotle's beautiful definition of the consistent practice that's worthwhile, you know. Um, and I think you're going to end up getting into that, what I guess I describe it as, I use the terms as compensatory behaviors, meaning people get into it and they're like, yeah. And, and over time, they're not even aware of the like, yeah. And, and then they just get lost, you know. And, um, and then over time, it's just like, oh, it stopped and there's so much conversation today of course on fixing that <laughs> which stopped it and no one wants to back up and go well what's your attention's getting in you know um and right. so all of those things over there Robbie I think I'm defining as the vices inside of it so right. uh, burning out over you know uh what's the what's the opposite of reward the pacer oh I know uh competition on a whiteboard every day you know so that's
0: Yeah. And I, a couple of things come to mind there. So I guess one to clarify for people, we don't mean vices. you know, when I use the term vices, it's just the connection to the moral language, but we don't mean metaphysical sins or anything like that or cardinal sins. We just mean, yeah, well, it's
1: in they're cardinal sins in my book of fitness, but go on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, The second thing I was just thinking as we were discussing that is I was kind of wondering, maybe there's a bi-directional arrow here, but I was kind of wondering what is the extent to which if someone has some vices Say selfishness or uh, something to that effect. Does that lead to participating or wanting to participate in certain fitness activities? So, like the the desire for those fitness activities and you know these things that we're uh, you know criticizing to a certain extent comes from maybe part of uh, one's internal habits and ways of looking at things. But then I also wonder in the other direction: to what extent does engaging in these types of activities? where it's you know up on the whiteboard every day and did you beat the other person does that contribute to a negative state of character so uh, i'm kind of wondering about the errors and directions there any any thoughts on on those
1: yeah for sure well when you say the selfishness aspect i immediately go to probably an unconscious starting point towards autonomy Um, that's what i first think about in selfishness so like what and this is where of course like you said some characteristics of specific classifications of virtues like selfishness could be lumped in right or wrong very easily right. you know and so selfishness inside of fitness i classify as the deepest underpinnings of autonomy you know and the starting point for autonomy so i'll just you know i'll just uh uh leave that there and then your and then your other one um on the uh um the competition how did you phrase that? The competition that is on the whiteboard that.
0: Uh... Yeah. So uh, yeah. So I, I agree with you on selfishness. I mean, there are different ways to characterize it, and that could be a good impulse in a mm. in a certain context. Let me use another vice and maybe okay. see if I can uh, do a better job of explaining. I was wondering the extent to which let's take impatience.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: To what extent does impatience, as a general feature of a human being, contribute to them then wanting to pursue? Yeah. these particular fitness activities and then how do those fitness activities contribute to impatience?
1: Yeah. Well, I do
0: things? want to come back to what you
1: used because I had a point of thought on the second arrow angle, but uh, impatience, uh, that can be very positive in people um, moving beyond mediocrity um, in their fitness participation and physical exper- experience. Um, and there is aspects of impatience that are really good on pushing up against potential. So for someone who's new and who cannot express really challenging physical challenges, to be impatient is actually not too bad of a characteristic to have because you're, you're trying to push up against that which you truly can't express, but at least you're trying to express it. <laughs> so you're, you're impatient in that, that you want more and you want it frequently, you want it faster. But that's the beauty inside of fitness sometimes is you actually can't express it, but it's actually developing some good habits of you pushing up against your potential. So I think that that could be in fitness, it could be a positive attribute and a possible area of virtue. So now we're, I guess, stretching it out that these virtues may change over time. And that's where we talk about, you know, the the long-term development in autonomy is that you go from this unconscious incompetent state to this unconscious competent state, you know, so I can see impatience being embedded into that unconscious incompetent state as being a positive virtue, you know, cause it's you're basically like knocking your head against the wall every day, which is your limitation, but it's a soft wall. If that makes sense, you know, it's just like, Oh, okay. That's there. Oh, okay. That's there. Oh, okay. That's there. Oh, okay, that's there. You know, whereas over time, when you develop your nervous system more effectively, um, you beat your head against a really hard wall, you know, and now you've got to deal with this, like, well, what's it like to be impatient when your system gets developed? You know, now it leads to what we were previously talking about in this downward spiral, Robbie. Okay. So that's what I thought about for, uh, for that virtue, possibly being inside of there. And that, that stretches my brain a lot because I'm, I'm sure there's now a timeline of people's experiences inside of physical expression and knowledge and competency of its expression, that uh, some of those virtues
0: can be interplaced, that could be helpful and harmful. (laughs) Right, and that that gets to exactly what you were saying, I think earlier about like, what do these words actually mean? Because when I think of, so I see what you're saying. So you could have someone who's impatient, but in the sense of, they keep wanting to extend themselves and to actually come back the next day and actually push up against the potential. I was initially thinking of it in the like the true vice sense of like um, you try to give someone something sustainable and you know um, do these activities and, and build their strength and the less like oh my god I need you know I need the Metcon or why am I not squatting 600 pounds do you know what I mean like mm-hmm. yep. that, 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 that type of thing so but it, it, it really there's a spectrum of course and it, it yes. depends on like what, what we mean by the term.
1: Yeah so, yeah did you remember your uh, second arrow point?
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, the second arrow point is basically to what extent does fitness contribute to, can certain forms of fitness contribute to vices in the character of a human being? You know, in other words, like if you are constantly in this competitive mode each day or in this go, 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 um, can you then become a more impatient person or a less generous person or... uh, Mm-hmm. less temperate person think things of that nature yeah
1: yeah and i yeah thank you um and what i was going to say on that is i think it uh it the more and more people do that i think it moves to a lack of awareness so people become less aware over time and do more and they start thinking less and so i think that that's probably that probably leads to a, a broken system if you participating in that direction. Um, where you're just, you know, it's always competition. Cause I'm just trying to think, well, I always ask the question, right? Like number one, what's the hurry? And number two, what's next? And when you try to answer those two things, they're both going to lead to lowering of awareness and then eventually a burnt out system. So that's why I don't think that's a virtuous path.
0: Yeah, I I would agree with that. And I think there's a certain extent to which, you know, Uh, certain things that we try to cultivate in our life about humility or perseverance or self-discipline can be negatively impacted by the physical pursuits. So there's this bi-directionality going on where, um, who you are as a person can impact your fitness journey and your fitness journey can impact who you are as a, a person.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, aren't there um, any other unique virtues that you can think of in in fitness? I I think we listed a few good ones. I'm trying to think of. Yeah. um, I think,
1: I think one area Robbie where we can, you can maybe think about just uh, uh, for our time, just kind of touching on some stuff. I'm not sure if we want to go there, but I think the, it may be, it may be um, a positive idea to uh, go to a coach's lens either today or another time Uh, a coach's lens of what is virtuous. So a virtue, virtues of coaching, you know, and I, cause I, I've classified some attributes of coaching Um, you know, things like attentiveness and awareness, authenticity, vulnerability, empathy, being empathy or creating empathy. Um, You know, I think those are some we can probably dig in on, but I'm just making mentioning of that to see if you have any thoughts on some of those things that could be, just embedded inside of the individual fitness landscape of, of virtuous, um, you know, practices.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, awareness, um, authenticity, those ones you mentioned, but you're, you're right. I mean, we've really just been focused on the individual and I think that that's one I actually, I think could even be its own podcast or even multiple podcasts of like coach to client, client to coach, Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. coach to collective, but, um,
1: Okay. Well, we can do that another time and do a client to coach perspective and then back to coach to client perspective. But I guess to answer your question, there's, I guess there's, uh, there's probably numerous ones with different pieces of language inside of that. And as I rehash it, maybe something will come up, but I talked about to redefine that I talked about, you know, strategy, uh, and I also talked about pace and I also talked about, uh, potential, um, and, I think I think those are are uh, are probably they very well could be just a like a, a triad that has different things underneath them, like that people will extract from them in in participation. But they could be some nice beacons for people to think about as uh, as what what could be some virtues in, that we're searching for inside of fitness.
0: Yeah, I think those are good ones, and I think they definitely relate to the broader virtues of what it is to be a good human being. Um, And then the last question I had um, is I I was saying earlier that for Aristotle um, the virtuous life is intrinsically linked with this notion of eudaimonia, fulfillment, happiness, the the true, good, purposeful life. Um, Is there any similar thing in fitness that is intrinsically worthwhile that we are pursuing in the fitness life? The first thing I thought was, autonomy. Um, but, but I'm just curious to hear your thoughts. Are, are we aiming for that eudaimonia in fitness? Are we aiming for autonomy? What What's the intrinsically worthwhile thing that we are aiming at when we are engaging in fitness?
1: Yeah, I, th- I was, as you were saying it, I was trying to come up with something different than how I define autonomy, but I'm not, I'm not getting much more because inside of what's underneath autonomy for me is is the ability really to use that base support of your physical expression experience for almost anything. And I know anything's a large word, but when you, when you know what you're capable of and what you, when you know what your limits are and you know what you need to do for those pieces of strategy and pace and potential, I really do think the sound cliche, the sky's the limit. Um, So I'm not sure if there's, I'm not, sure, I'm not uh, attaching to any other, any other things. Now I think some things which can move into this category um, besides just autonomy would be something, I guess, slightly different in that. And this is where I, I level the self others system collective perspective um, of, I think what could be virtuous over time is that you, you learn how to be autonomous. Um, And then it, it moves into helping others. So helping others and community and shared physical experiences um, such that it helps more than you, and you're doing it for more than just yourself now, because you have an unbelievable base support. I think that is a possible next evolution of, uh, of that. But I think Robbie, it's so hard for me to, to say that that is actually a virtuous thing because I just can't see it as a general thing in my lifetime where people get so autonomous in their physical expression, they're capable of helping others or teaching others. And you know, that needs a lot of defining before I just say that, Oh, there's lots of people out helping others. Like, no, it's really not happening. And we'd have to define that. But (coughs) excuse me, I think that's where um, I would say is another area of, uh, you know, helping your community and and uh, doing stuff beyond yourself. But that's where it gets into what I would believe a defined aspect of a path and a way. And I think the way to get to that area, (coughs) I believe you're possibly not going to even reach in a physical person's lifetime of fitness experience. Meaning it's going to take so much work to today anyways, to do this learning around the self and to make the self the best possible. Um, And this is not a narcissistic, you know, self or or non altruistic self perspective, but it's a uh, it's just the, the biggest potential of the self um, before you can get to helping others.
0: Yeah, And and as you were saying that, I was thinking maybe the way I phrased it was problematic. You know, I was trying to relate, you know, the pursuit of, the pursuit of virtue to this notion of eudaimonia and what's the equivalent in fitness. But, you know, Aristotle famously says we don't pursue eudaimonia for anything else. It by itself is sufficient. Happiness is by itself sufficient. So maybe we say a fitness, just there it is. That's why we pursue fitness yes. because it's fitness because yeah. we can. Yes. Because it's it exists
1: because it can. And, and um, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Cause I, I generally finish that sentence and it's probably something that's more than just beyond because you can and it, that it exists, but um, that it's for you. You know, you, you're doing it, you're doing it for you, for the improvement of self. Right. Right. For the, for the pushing against potential for the pushing of like, well, what, what am I, what makes me up? What am I afraid of? And what are my, what are my big challenges? Um, and you're going to go out there and practice that every day, you know, and uh, inside of that there's strategy and inside of there there's pace. Um,
0: and there's virtue in that. Right. And it's a lifelong practice that's intrinsically worthwhile. Yes. Beautiful. Ooh, that was a good one. Yeah. Uh, Any, any final thoughts on virtue in relation to fitness?
1: Yeah. Well um, I didn't come up with another V for fitness, so uh, I'll figure out what that could be. Um, But I just wanted to say uh, thank you for uh, laying out the groundwork. Um, It changed my perspective on a couple of things that I can't even recall right now. I got to spend some time with, but on the polarity, and also the possible incorrect language I have been using in what was seemingly thought of being an incorrect way of aligning virtue, but really they were just uh, blabbermouth vicing. (laughs) Um, that, that was a really nice shift for me. So I appreciate that. Um, and also thank you for the base support of the original humans and the original people that came up with some of these things that we could use, um, as language. Um, And also uh, I appreciate us being able to go back and uh, think about how that physical culture ties into what, you know, currently we do to today. That's always pleasurable for me. So I really appreciate that. Um, But I have nothing else to add uh, for our
0: conversation, just an appreciation for us being able to do it. Yeah. And thank you. I mean, I, you know, just one thing that sticks out to me from the conversation is just the, um, or many things, but one thing in particular is, I don't know that we could even have this conversation about fitness and its relation to virtue outside of what we've been talking about as, as fitness, kind of this, this, this truer, deeper right. notion of fitness, it would just be kind of a, what are we even talking about with F45 and you know, do you know what I mean? Like, yep. Yep. so yep. we're even able to have this conversation because of this deeper notion of fitness. So that's yeah. And the base support. Cool yeah. And the
1: yeah. base support that we have proposed. Yeah, I agree. Agreed. Super. Awesome. All right. Well, James, thank you very much. All right.